place within these walls, just like facts have no place with an organized religion. Michael Graff. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, you have got to be kidding, sir. First you think of an idea that has already been done. And then you give it a title that nobody could possibly like. The Michael Graff Show. Hi, it's a kite, everybody. Goofballs. How would you handle this? We could try ignoring it, sir. I see. Pretend nothing has happened and hope everything turns out all right in the morning. Just a thought, sir. I've considered that. Warning. The following broadcast is presented without the use of talking points, blatant hypocrisy, or Kool-Aid. You know, it's bad when this guy has to become the voice of reason. It's the return of the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. You know what I think we really should start doing? I think this show is so important... It's such a national treasure, the zip code famous Michael Grob Show. We should have someone perform the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, before the show. Hey, I hear Christina Aguilera does a great rendition. Wow. Was that awful or what? Welcome in. Yes, another edition of the zip code famous Michael Grob Show underway. It is Tuesday. February 8th, 2011. And uh, yes, I am Michael Groff. Thank you so much for joining us. Our contact information for the program, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Groff Show. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. And for everything else Michael Groff related, you know you can always go to the one, the only, michaelgroff.com to get all of the uh, latest updates on this program, on me, our bio information, everything else on this program. It is all up and available. You can get interactive with the show. You can post your comments, your thoughts. It's all up and available at the one and only michaelgroff.com. See, I'm trying to make I'm trying to make it sound more self-important than it really is. I, I really am trying to hype it up. Yeah. We should just have somebody do the national anthem before the show. That'll work. We could get a big, uh, big deep voice announcer, even more so than myself. We could get somebody. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's the starting lineup for the zip code famous Michael Grob Show. From Arizona State University. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to do something like that. Why not? So obviously uh, the Super Bowl, that was the big topic over the weekend. And I have lots of thoughts. Not really so much even on the game. Look, as you know, I really didn't like either team. Um, I very reluctantly picked the Packers to win on Sunday. Um, and, well, they did. I, I had the Packers. I took the Packers minus the three points for all you degenerate gamblers out there. And, uh, again, this is, I posted that on the website, too. It's not, so I'm not just going back and saying, yeah, I had the Packers all the way, baby. No, I mean, it's actually documented on my website. So, anyway, obviously the, uh, the game, I do have some thoughts on that, and I have I have lots of thoughts. The broadcast, the whole pageantry surrounding it. Obviously, though, the, the talk was a couple of things. Number one, Christina Aguilar. Well, there's three main highlights to the Super Bowl or the pageantry surrounding the Super Bowl. Number one, Bill O'Reilly's interview with Barack Obama. That was interesting. And, of course, all the pundits evaluated it the same way. People on the right thought that Bill O'Reilly did a great job and that Obama was elusive and that Obama couldn't answer a question. And surprisingly enough, people on the left thought that Obama did great and that Bill O'Reilly was cutting him off and that Bill O'Reilly was jumping in and not giving him an opportunity to answer the questions. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if anybody, if, if for example, I'm wondering if Randy Rhodes could ever give a conservative any kind of props whatsoever. I... Could somebody, could a left-wing talk show host ever 
give any sort of kudos to a conservative ever. Has there ever been a conservative that's done anything that's worth a crap ever in the history of the universe? Uh, according to a left-wing talk show. And on the, at the same point, could a right-wing talk show host, could somebody like Rush Limbaugh ever acknowledge that a Democrat did anything worth a crap ever? Is there even one liberal philosophy in the minds of a conservative talk show host that will ever pass muster? I mean, is does that exist? That's the question I have. And again, it all goes back to why I believe I'm never going to be a big-time radio host with a huge syndicated show. And the reason I'm not is because I don't drink the Kool-Aid for any specific party. I cannot come on the air and ever totally advocate one position or another. I cannot just go right down the Republican list of talking points and say how all of them are great and how every Republican that's ever been around is the greatest thing ever. And at the same time, I could never, ever in a million years get on and talk about how liberals are great and how, God, I mean, just we need higher taxes and more welfare. And, you know, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't possibly ever do that. And since I can't be that extremist one way or the other, since I look at each individual subject on its own merit, that's probably why I couldn't ever be a major syndicated talk show host. I, uh, I've really discovered that about myself the last few years because the radio industry, and I don't even know how I got on this, but the radio industry has, has turned so much. You have to be a guy with a major shtick. You have to have some kind of extremist view. You either have to be sort of a Glenn Beck kind of guy who is sort of like with the Tea Party folks and he's kind of off on his own and he's kind of libertarian in a way, but he's definitely drinking the Kool-Aid, his own weird blend of it. And uh, or you have to be like, you know, a Tom Hartman, a Randy Rhodes, uh, like that, that really nutball extremist left guy, Mike Malloy, who actually doesn't have that much success. But you have to be somebody like that who, who just totally comes on the air and is totally extremist left, or you have to be a Rush Limbaugh or a Sean Hannity. I mean, I could never do that. It's much the same way how I've talked about over the years. I could never be a morning show host that does one of those high energy, super sticky kind of morning shows where you have the wacky bits and the, and the dumb, the, the really fake phony celebrity interviews. Just, it's just such a bad show. And then I, I get all this false energy and I have to talk about pop culture issues and, uh, you know, it's, it's so bad. It's so bad with the, with the really horrible bits. Yeah, I have to get all fired up about Lady Gaga and play that awful music. 1047 Kiss FM, number one of music station. It's Mayhem Mike's Morning Zoo. Oh, yeah. Forecast for today, mostly sunny, the high of 68 degrees. Yeah, right now, 46 degrees outside. And this is your number one of music station coming up. The most original radio bit in the history of morning radio. It's Battle of the Sexes. Coming up in just a few minutes on 1047 Kids FM. I want to hold them like they do in Texas, please. I could never do that. Ever. Ever. That's just not me. But uh, digressing, getting back to the main point in all this, and that is that the pundits, the political talk shows, all analyze this Bill O'Reilly, Barack Obama interview um, as uh, the conservatives thought it was great, the liberals thought that Obama did great, and that's just that's just not, I don't know. My uh, take on it is, look, it obviously was one of these sort of manufactured things. Barack Obama did his best to politically dodge the questions. Bill O'Reilly asked the questions. Um, I find Bill O'Reilly entertaining. I don't really always agree with him. I think he's a, a major tool. We'll do it live! Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. You see, he is entertaining. If he did his show like that every single night, if that was his show on Fox News, if he had those kind of meltdowns, I would never miss an episode of The O'Reilly Factor. Yeah, the no spin zone. I would never miss an episode of that, period. <laughs> so that was part number one of the Super Bowl. That was uh, the big buildup. Which was really kind of a letdown. You knew it was going to just kind of go like that. I mean, I, I I enjoyed it. I guess I was entertained by it. I didn't see it live, by the way. I didn't see it live. No, I didn't though. I I saw it uh, later. Just like I didn't see the national anthem either because I was walking over to the bar. Here's what happened. So on Sunday, first of all, I wasn't going to watch the Super Bowl anyway. Not only did I not like the two teams that were in there, but you know, Super Bowl Sunday was always a thing. Uh, my dad and I, ever since I was a little kid, I always watched the Super Bowl with my dad, even before I was ever into sports. I always watched the Super Bowl with my dad. And, uh, you know, after he died, it just, it was weird. It was, 
I, I love football. I watch the whole regular season and everything. But every time the Super Bowl comes up, I always felt kind of sad because I always really enjoyed watching the game with my dad. So uh, every year, it's just a little bit of a bummer. I, it's one of those few days on the calendar that always sort of creeps up on me and always gets to me a little bit. So I, um, I, I don't know. I wasn't even going to watch. But then I, I wound up going over to uh, a little dive bar by my house. I went over with my mom, my brother, and my mom's boyfriend, and uh, we hung out over there and had a great time. Um, they, they had like a little potluck over there. They ordered a bunch of pizzas. This is a dive bar, okay? They don't have any food, but everybody brought food, and then they ordered a bunch of pizzas, and uh, we uh, just sat there, watched the game. It was great, but when I was walking over was when the national anthem was going on because I really didn't care, and it was Christina Aguilera. I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. Lo and behold, though, Christina Aguilera puts on uh, quite the performance. Yeah, so I didn't hear about this until later. Once I got to the bar, somebody mentioned to me, oh, yeah, you missed it. Christina Aguilera really flubbed the national anthem. I went, oh, man, now I got to hear this. It always gives me douche chills to hear this kind of thing, though. Like, I always get really embarrassed for the person. I don't know why, but I do. Don't you think that if you were asked to do the national anthem, particularly on one of the biggest world stages, the Super Bowl, that you would, number one, know all of the words, that you would have practiced it to death to the point where you would know the words even if you were drunk, asleep, strung out on coke, or in the case of Christina Aguilera, wearing five pounds of whore makeup. Maybe all that makeup went right through her pores into her bloodstream and hit her brain because clearly that's what happened and the net result was something that sounded like this. Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the paperless fight was so proudly we watched <laughs> at the twilight's last reaming. Last reaming. Not only did she totally screw up the lyrics, but she even got other words wrong that, I mean, she she didn't know the sequence of the lyrics. She didn't know the lyrics themselves. I don't know. She just got up there. Maybe she did know them, and then she choked. I know on her Twitter account, Christina Aguilera wrote, well, I, I hope that, uh, I really apologize, but I hope that um, you really got the spirit that I felt for America in the song. And it's like, well, no, actually, we didn't get the spirit you felt for America because you got the song wrong. It's the national anthem, the one thing you were supposed to do correct on that day, and you got it wrong on the biggest possible stage you could. Thank you so much for playing. Yeah. Naturally, that just brings about the other question, though. Why do we perform the national anthem before any sporting event? I go to sporting events a lot, you know, baseball games, basketball games. They are always performing the national anthem. It's great in terms of the fact that there can be some comic relief. Somebody's going to screw it up. But then you just get embarrassed. And then you just ultimately go back to the question. Why do we feel the need to perform the national anthem before a sporting event? When did that start? That started what? In World War II where we did that? Oh, my God. Really? Some traditions are okay to let pass. That is one that I think is okay. And I have nothing against the national anthem. I'm certainly not uh, anti-patriotic. I'm definitely a, a nationalist kind of guy. I love the United States, love this country. But I just don't need to hear the national anthem before every single sporting event. There just is no real point to it. What, we're, we're going to invigorate the crowd with the spirit of nationalism before a sporting event. Before an event where people beat the crap out of each other. Before people compete in a game. Where does it stop? We, I know we do it before college games, too. Do we do it before high school? I think, I don't remember. I, I seem to remember we'd actually do that before high school games also. Pop Warner, minor league, uh, not minor league, um, little league games, T-ball. Maybe, we, now, ladies and gentlemen, parents and children of all ages, get ready for tonight's T-ball game and perform tonight's national anthem. It's multi-Grammy Award winner, Miley Cyrus. It just seems so stupid. The national anthem before a game. Yeah. It's another one of those things. Uh, it's, it's sort of like now they sing God Bless America at all the uh, baseball games. And I know we started doing that after 9-11, especially on Sundays. Every Sunday they do God Bless America. Now, I could take me out to the ball game. That's fine. God Bless America, though, just seems a little bit weird. The other weird thing that happened at the Super Bowl or the pageantry surrounding the Super Bowl revolved around the halftime show. And that was the Black Eyed Peas. 
Now, admittedly, I am not a big fan. Anybody that knows me knows that. If you've listened to the show over the years, you have heard me talk about them whenever we've done the pop chart segment. I don't like their music. So I, I realize that I'm kind of going into this with a bias. However, I can certainly appreciate a good concert and I can certainly appreciate good musicians when I see and hear them. For example, years ago, I went to a Chicago and Earth, Wind and Fire concert and I was never a big Earth, Wind and Fire fan. OK, I didn't like that kind of sound, the whole 70s disco thing. I was never really into that. But but when I left there, I had such an appreciation for Earth, Wind and Fire as musicians and as concert performers that sure, I wasn't going to run out and buy their albums. But I have to tell you, if somebody said to me, hey, I got tickets to an Earth, Wind and Fire show, I'd say, you know what? I'll go. Why not? They really put on a good show. And they and again, I really appreciate good musicians, even if I don't really care for the music necessarily. So um, with the Black Eyed Peas, they could have certainly won me over. I'm not so anti them. Well, I kind of am, but they still could have won me over. They could have put on a decent show. But they, the bottom line to this conversation is they didn't. It was horrible. First of all, it was mixed terribly. Um, it was, it just sounded like crap. I, again, I don't like their music. Yeah. This kind of tune. I don't like this stuff at all. I'm not into Will I Am or Fergie. Fergie looked really bad. How do people find her attractive? That's what I don't get. She's kind of trollish looking. I got a feeling. She's kind of short. And she looks kind of dumpy. She sort of falls into that same category as Christina Aguilera, who piles on the whore makeup. Plus, she has that whole sort of, yo, what's up, vibe going on, which I don't really get that either. Fergie Ferg. Plus, these songs are pretty vapid and empty. See, I mean, really inspiring lyrics. And of course, you take these guys out of the studio and they sound awful. That was the other thing. They had live auto-tune going on the voice. And again, you could tell they weren't lip-syncing because if they were, it would have been a lot better. Boy, do they suck live. There are certain musicians, or and I, I hesitate to even call them musicians. There are certain performers that once you rip them out of the studio, they are awful. And that Fergie is a fine example of that. I have never seen a Fergie concert going before this or a Black Eyed Peas concert or I had never heard a live performance from the Black Eyed Peas. And I hope I never hear one again. That was brutal. And then they brought out Slash and they really tore apart Sweet Child of Mine. They they just decimated that song. I don't even want to. I have it here. I have their rendition of it. I don't even want to play it because it was just, it was that awful. And that leads me back to another point about the Super Bowl. Why can't we have a halftime show that isn't either A, a group that hasn't been relevant for 30 years like The Who. Remember that last year? I know they brought out Tom Petty a few years ago, and that was all right. I was a little bit disappointed even in his performance. But why can't we bring out, number one, bands that haven't been relevant for 30 years? Why do we have to have that? B, groups that appeal to about 12-year-olds or that are heard at a strip club. I don't get that. C, acts that only play on like MTV, for example. Why can't we get real legitimate bands that are out there, kind of have a happening thing going on? Like, I don't know, the Goo Goo Dolls or something. Yeah, bring out something like that. That would be a much better act for the halftime show. Years ago, they had Aerosmith about eight or nine years ago for the Super Bowl. That was fine. Aerosmith at the time was still pretty happening. Now, again, they haven't had a hit in, God, 10 years now. I think Jaded was the last hit they had. But okay, that would have been okay. Steven Tyler is at least still kind of relevant now that he's on American Idol. And Aerosmith is a timeless classic. Unlike The Who, who are, um, well, they've really fallen off the radar for 30 years. They haven't had a hit on the chart in at least 30 years. At least. It's got to be. Um, so, I don't know. Is it too much to ask to have an act up there that's relevant and that people actually want to see and hear? 
the majority of fans that are football fans, do you think they want to hear the black eyed peas? We're talking about guys. Does a guy, and I know the Super Bowl is a different kind of event. I know that football fans and non football fans alike tune into it. But can't we get an act that isn't just completely horrible? Can't we just do that? Can't we get somebody that, that's going to appeal to men? And I don't mean like death metal, and I don't even mean like Metallica. I mean like. Uh, just a band that can sort of that has a broad based appeal that's they're not going to have a wardrobe malfunction. They're not going to go out there and uh, sing crappy folk music or something. They're just going to go out there and do a good show. And that's that. Why can't we have that? There's got to be a bunch of bands that have been relevant within the last 10 years that you could get up there to perform. The Black Eyed Peas, man, that was really bad, though. Truly. How about this for a requirement? In order to perform at the Super Bowl halftime show, you have had to have had a song on the chart or many songs on the chart in the last 10 years. Your, your group must contain members that play their own instruments. There cannot be any use of auto-tune. I'm just trying to go through uh, some bands that are kind of relevant right now. Here you go. How about Train? Just scrolling through the list. Train, that, Pat Monahan is a great performer. There's a real group. There's a real set of guys. I mean, you could get other musicians out there to perform with them if you want, but that would be good. Yeah. Here you go. They had a hit last year. They had the number one song of the year 2010 with Hey Soul Sister. Yeah, you could get them to go up there. They could even perform this. And I realize this isn't exactly the most manly sort of football music or anything, but train pretty diverse group. They have a, a lot of talent. And again, it is the Super Bowl, which is different from just an ordinary football game. So I know there's a diverse audience. A lot of people would like this. If this was the number one song of the year last year, you could uh, you could have this as the halftime show. Why not? It would be better than the Black Eyed Peas, for God's sake. I'd put this up there. We could just, we get Radiohead up there. Anybody else, anybody other than the Black Eyed Peas, I would take it. Then the game itself was weird too. First of all, Joe Buck is just a terrible play-by-play guy. I just can't stand him. I can't stand his pompacity. After every single play that happened on the field, he kept saying, no penalty flag on the play. It's like, okay, we get it. Yeah, there was no penalty flag. And you think, how did this guy ever get into broadcasting? And then you remember, oh yeah, because his dad was a famous broadcaster and a Hall of Famer, Jack Buck. That's how. Oh yeah, now I know. But he's just so pompous. Troy Aikman, as it turns out, Troy Aikman's actually a really good color analyst though. And I really do enjoy him as a color analyst on the broadcast. I really like him. So um, the game itself, look, uh, Pittsburgh had the opportunity to win it at the end. And I really thought they were going to, by the way. When, when the score was 31-25, there was, what, two minutes to go in the game. I figured Ben Roethlisberger, or Ben Rapisberger, as everybody at the bar called him, I figured he was going to drive the Steelers down and they were going to just, he, you know, it was going to be one of those situations. It was going to be like a 30-yard touchdown play with 20 seconds to go in the game or something like that. I figured that was what was going to happen. But no, it didn't. Uh, the Packers who dominated the first half, let the Steelers back in in the second half. I don't know. Those long half times, because they are longer in the Super Bowl, it's about a, what, a 20-minute halftime or something in, uh, versus what it is in the regular season. I can't remember. It's something like that. And I figure sometimes that really hurts the momentum of the team that's ahead. So, or even, well, it just hurts the momentum in general. So it doesn't matter who's in ahead or not. It just, whoever had the momentum going into halftime has completely lost it and the game sort of shifts. And that's sort of what happened here. So the Steelers came out kind of on fire in the second half. 
Um, but the the game came down to Roethlisberger was kind of ineffective through a couple of interceptions. There was a fumble. Pittsburgh uh, lost the turnover battle, and as usual, you lose the turnover battle in the game, you lose the game, and that's what happened here. And uh, there's really no way to X and O this game that much. I, I didn't. It was a compelling game, certainly a more compelling game than uh, some Super Bowls. But really, for the last decade or so, for the most part, we've had pretty good Super Bowls. Uh, a couple of them have been just phenomenal blowouts. Uh, Raiders, uh, Buccaneers, that was a big blowout. Um, what was the other? I'm just trying to think of uh, the other one that was kind of a, a disappointment. But they, I mean, there's most of them have been relatively close games for the last 10 years. And I guess that's all you can really ask for, even though there were two teams I really didn't care about. And that's probably why I'm not going to sit here and break down the game too much. Um, you know, the Packers won. And uh, and I guess I can deal with that more than... I, there's a couple of guys that message me that are really obnoxious Steeler fans. And I know I'm not going to hear from them now until next season, if there even is a next season because of the labor situation in the NFL. That's a whole other topic. Um. The other thing, the other weird observation I had from the game was Cameron Diaz is now with Alex Rodriguez. So they pan to A-Rod uh, during the game at one point because Fox has this obsession when they broadcast the... Uh, well, this is it just with the World Series. It doesn't matter what sporting event they're broadcasting. Fox has this obsession with having to pan away from the game to show celebrities in the audience. I, I don't know why they do that. That's definitely more a Fox thing than it is CBS. When CBS or, or anybody else has the Super Bowl, they don't do this nearly as often. So Fox... I guess probably because, number one, they have the baseball package in the World Series. So they panned Alex Rodriguez, who's in the stands. And he's there with Cameron Diaz. I guess that's who he's with now. And she's feeding him popcorn. <laughs> what, a, what a setup this guy has. His, his girlfriend, I guess, is, is just is feeding him popcorn in the stands. And he's, he's sitting back there. He's worth more money than she is. And uh, he's got a much more happening thing going on right now in, in his life than she does. I'm pretty sure. Um, of course, me, I wouldn't really know because I don't know much about celebrities. I know about uh, athletes, professional athletes, but I, I know nothing. I could not right now. If you ask me to name a movie that Cameron Diaz has been in, I couldn't name one. I know that's how out of it I am. I know that she's famous and I know that uh, we've done stories about her on the show before. But I could not name a single movie that Cameron Diaz has been in. Meanwhile, right now, somebody in the audience has probably just listed 12. And I know I could go, I could pretend to know, okay? I could go to IMDb, and I could look up her roster of movies, and I could be like, yeah, she was with this, this, and this, and I could try and be all phony about it. But I, I, I truthfully, I know like four celebrities, okay? I, I know of like four celebrities. I've heard of Cameron Diaz. I know all I know is that she's sitting there feeding Alex Rodriguez popcorn. And I just thought that was the, the funniest thing. All A-Rod needed now was a couple of people to carry him on a on a hammock or something, uh, carry him around everywhere. Yeah, she should have just uh, put grapes in his mouth while she was at it. That was pretty funny. So there was that. And then the other weird thing was they panned at one point. They showed John Madden sitting there with his flip phone, sending a text message. John Madden with his big fat fingers trying to send a text message. That was, that was awesome. The fingers you have used to dial are too fat. To obtain a special dialing wand, please mash the keypad with your palm now. <laughs> I could just see that right now, man. It, he was just, he was using those sausage fingers of his to text and he had that flip phone. It was just, I don't know. There's nothing funnier than seeing a guy like John Madden, somebody who, I know he uses that telestrator, but I mean, what I would consider probably the least hip person on planet Earth trying to use, uh, trying to send a text message. Hey, over here, and then boom. I don't know. All right, so that was just some thoughts from the Super Bowl. I guess A-Rod went ballistic, reportedly. I'm just reading this right now. A-Rod supposedly got really upset that he was shown on camera having Cameron D throwing popcorn down his gullet. I don't know why you'd be upset by that. It shows that you're the man. You're the guy. That's a movie star. You're a baseball player, and she is feeding you. That's pretty huge. I don't know. I don't know why he'd be upset by that. Maybe... Uh, maybe he was upset because it, he didn't have two women feeding him at once. I guess that's... Hey, when you're worth about a billion dollars, I guess that's how it works. Huh? That's how you roll. 
All right, we've got plenty more shows still to get to. We've got the Michael Groff Show Stupid News File. We're going to do that coming up. Also, a look at the pop chart, which will make us all sad in our pants. And, by special request, a Michael Groff Show flashback. And so much more still to get to. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. There's more coming up. The zip code famous Michael Groff Shows. Stick around. Airing on the side of common sense. This is... The Zip Code Famous, Michael Groff Show. for the Vegas getaway. Yeah. It's the zip code famous Michael Grove show. We're back. Segment number two, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Groff Show. Available to you 24 hours a day. 365. All of your comments, questions, suggestions. We respond to everything, including the death threats. So keep those coming in. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll take a look at the pop chart. We'll also have a Michael Graff show flashback by request. I know we're just spitting all the jams for you this evening. This Egyptian situation continues to spiral. What is this now, uh, 15 days, something like that of, uh, it just seems it's going on and on, the protesting, the revolution that is going on in Egypt right now. And it's still concerning me because, number one, you don't know who to trust. We mentioned this on the show the other day. You don't know what pundits to believe because some are telling you, oh, man, it's, this is great. It's wonderful that the people are revolting. They're, they're rising up. They're, they're going against an admittedly very brutal sort of dictator. I know he's the president. I know he was elected to the position. But we know that this guy is, for all intents and purposes, he's a dictator. And he's a pretty brutal guy. His vice president is uh, torturing people. Everybody in the cabinet has basically been fired. They've been all let go. So it's just this Hosni Mubarak that's uh, in charge now. But the problem is, is he's 82 years old. He doesn't want to let go. He doesn't realize that it is his time to leave. And for the last 30 years, he has basically brutalized his people. But the United States likes him because he supports Israel. And this is another reason why we should never get involved in these foreign affairs. But they have the Suez Canal. So naturally, we feel that it is in our best interest to get along with them. Egypt was never a big fan of Israel before he got in there. So we prop this guy up. We even give the Egyptians a billion and a half dollars in foreign aid a year. Yes, 1.5 billion in foreign aid the United States gives to Egypt. And I think it's time we cut that off. It's enough with the foreign aid. It really is. And especially when you consider uh, all the news that surround this guy, you know that this guy has taken $70 billion for himself. Hosni Mubarak, he's worth more than $70 billion. Not to mention other people that are close to him have hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars as well. So, and I wonder where he got all that from. I don't know. Could be from all of his people in a sort of Kim Jong-il sort of way. You know, this Mubarak, he's worth $70 billion. He has 40% unemployment in his country. 
Most people in Egypt make about 10 to 20 bucks a day. It's a completely horrible living condition. I know people like to go over there on tour and you know, for tourism and, and see the, the, the pyramids uh, of Giza and all that. stuff. That's wonderful. And there's lots of museums and it's great for tourists. But if you actually ever had to live there, you would understand that it is an incredibly terrible place to live. There's no way that anybody can live well uh, in a place like that. And that's why the people are revolting. The problem is that you have to be careful what you wish for because some of the people that stand to get in power, I read about this Muslim Brotherhood and I know some people are saying, ah, oh, it's not really that bad and <clears throat> most of them are not really that extreme. But I have to tell you, you read about other accounts of what this Muslim Brotherhood has done and I, I've, I've been reading nonstop about some of the things they're up to and one of their charters, one of their key positions is the elimination of Israel. And you go, oh, good. We have another one of these nut jobs that's going to get in there and wants to end the Jewish state. More anti-Semites. As if the world doesn't have enough anti-Semites. Now, personally, I think our official position here in the United States should be, who the hell cares? Who the hell cares who gets into power? I know we care because they have the Suez Canal and that could affect uh, the price of oil. Everything affects the price of oil. And it is important that uh, we don't have complete nutbags in there because we don't need to further destabilize an already completely unstable situation. But I just hope the United States doesn't really involve. We're already too involved in this as it is. The president giving any sort of speech about it. I realize that he was asked. I know he didn't just come forward and just out of nowhere, just drop in his two cents. But, you know, the United States, every time we get involved with these countries, we get we get the Ayatollah in power. We get Saddam Hussein in power. We help Afghanistan and the Taliban. These are the people that the United States has helped over the years. We've helped the Iranians. We've helped, uh, helped Saddam Hussein. We've helped Afghanistan. We've helped. Uh, who else did we? Uh, and we, I mean, every time we help somebody, we screw up. We help Lebanon. We screw up every situation that we get involved in. We always get behind the wrong person, ultimately. History always shows that we get involved and we help the wrong people. Uh, and, and we're going to, you know that we're going to somehow have an influence on this too. I mean, I'm all for getting Mubarak out of there. The problem is, again, who are you going to put in there to replace him? Who's going to get in there? Is it going to be another Ayatollah? Is it going to be another Ahmadinejad? Great. Another Kim Jong-il? Another Saddam Hussein, another Taliban, another, um, yeah, is it going to be another one of these guys? Are we going to get a Faisal Shahzad in there? <laughs> We're going to get one of these guys that, that hate us? Yeah, Faisal Shahzad, that was the guy that tried to blow up uh, the bomb in Times Square. I don't know why his name just popped in my head, but it did. I know I think about those extremists. I think about guys like that because it could just be another guy like that, a sympathizer. And I'm not just saying it because it's the Muslim Brotherhood. I'm saying it because if you read about this Muslim Brotherhood, uh, there's a lot of not good things that they've been involved in. A lot of not good things they're up to. All right. Anyway, um, so that's the situation in Egypt. I don't know. I, I just I, I see a lot of these protests and I know that they've uh, really been going after the uh, the journalist. Anderson Cooper apparently got punched in the head. And uh, other journalists have been either kidnapped or they've been beat the hell out of or they've been shunned. So they're they're all getting out of there. I don't know. When I think of Egypt, I, I would never want to go there. I, I'd go there maybe to see the pyramids or something if and when the region ever stabilizes. But that's not going to happen. Not in my lifetime. Not unless I live to be about 10,000 years old and most life on this planet is eliminated. It's about the only way that that region is going to calm down. Or once the oil's all gone, then then that region's going to calm down because then they'll have they'll have no purpose on this planet whatsoever. They'll go back to being a desert and they'll have to rely on the rest of the world. That's when that whole situation's going to calm down. Because if you look at the rest of Africa which doesn't have oil or most of Africa that doesn't have oil, do we really care about Africa? Not really. Yeah, we we drop in some supplies once in a while. But we really don't care about it. We don't care about the unrest in Nigeria. We don't really care about what's gone on in the Congo. We're not too interested in South Africa. We're not all that. Somalia kind of only because they have, uh, again, radical Islam is there too. But most of Africa, we don't give a crap about. But we sure do care about what goes on in Jordan or Saudi Arabia or Iran. Places that we otherwise couldn't give two craps about.
because they have oil. Africa, the rest of Africa has nothing that we want. They have Ebola and AIDS. No, thanks. We, we, we got enough of that. They have disease and squalor. Uh, and I know it's terrible. Yeah. But that's why the United States in general doesn't really bother. We don't get involved. And it's really, it's very hypocritical. And it is sad. I'm not saying that it's great that that's how we are. But we, uh, I think we shouldn't be involved with any of it. We should be involved in fixing our own problem. We have $14 trillion in debt. I don't think we really need to be concerned about Egypt or the rest of Africa or the Middle East or anywhere else but the United States. And that's enough with the foreign aid. It's enough. We dole out way too much of that. And that's part of our problem, too. And whenever these countries need our help, for example, back in the Gulf War in 1991, when you had the Kuwaitis, uh, with the situation where Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait, we never asked them. We never sent them a check. We should have sent them a bill for enlisting our services and the services of 40 other nations also. They should have had to pay back with all that money they have. They should have had to pay us back. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we did that story on the air about the Kuwaiti oil minister who said, oh, I think $100 a barrel for oil is a fair price. And he's laughing about it. He goes, the United States is just going to have to live with it. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, we should have said, we should have sent them the bill right there. We should have said, hey, remember when we uh, saved your ass from Saddam Hussein 20 years ago? Remember that? Here's the bill. It, it turns out you owe us a trillion dollars. Oh, maybe, maybe we could negotiate. That's when the negotiation starts. But no, we uh, apparently, we need to be like the rent-a-cops in the mall. We need to start charging if you want our security, if you want our help, if you want to have our bases in your country. That's the other thing I would do. I'd get all these bases out of these other countries. It's enough with Afghanistan. It's enough with Iraq. It's enough with the Middle East. It's enough with, why do we need a base in Germany? Why? Why do we need a base in Germany? Why do we need bases in, in Germany, in France, in uh, Saudi Arabia, in South Korea? Why do we need these bases all over the place? Okay, Guam, fine. It's a territory of the United States. Okay. Do we really need one in the Philippines? Do we need one in, uh, in uh, Thailand? Do we need bases everywhere? Yeah, I, I can't imagine why other nations see us as imperialist. It's ridiculous. We, uh, we need to just draw that in. But that'll never happen either. That's a pipe dream of mine, I guess. All right. Um, here's a public education update. Here we go. I guess we should really be throwing more money at schools because, uh, because we're getting quality uh, teachers like this. A first grade teacher at a Silver Spring Elementary School was charged with several counts of assault Tuesday when authorities accused her of choking and in some cases punching half of her 16 students in class. The incidents happened in December in her class full of six and seven year old students, Montgomery County Police said. None of the students. Well, here's an interesting. Uh, apparently, our public schools are doing a great job. Here's how this sentence reads in this story. None of the students was harmed seriously enough to require medical treatment or show visible injuries, law enforcement officials said. That's nice. Uh, I'll, I'll take grammar for 200, Alex. Anyway, it is uncommon for teachers, it is uncommon for teachers to be charged criminally over actions in their classroom, particularly physical encounters against multiple children. Why is it uncommon? They should be charged. I have no problem with corporal punishment. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that's part of the problem with our school system now is that we don't have corporal punishment. Students can be disrespectful and nothing bad happens to them. There's no accountability. There's, I, I mean, these students, they just, they run and control the classrooms. And the, so, but I don't support a teacher just choking students. What? Because they didn't spell a word correctly. You're going to get choked. Really? It's the kind of crap they do in China. Montgomery... School officials said that they learned of the allegations January 4th and immediately removed the teacher, Susan Lee Burke, from the Greencastle Elementary School and placed her on administrative leave. Administrative leave. She's not fired. They should have said they placed her in jail. If my kid came home from school, oh my God, if my kid came home from school and I found out that the teacher choked and or punched them, I would go down and choke and or punch the teacher. 
that teacher, there would that would be what would happen. Unless, of course, I ask my kids, it's like, what did you do in class? Well, I beat the crap out of four other students. Then I'd be like, well, then the teacher should have choked and punched you. But otherwise, actually, even then I would still be upset. I would say, no, I get to punish my, my kid. Thanks. Separately, on January 7th, a seven-year-old boy arrived at the Briggs-Cheney police station with a parent, according to Captain Paul Starks, a police spokesman. The boy said that Burke had assaulted him Numerous times, according to documents filed. Um, uh, so then after that, then they finally arrested her. So they, they took her out of the classroom because she had been beating the crap out of students. And then because another student came forward and said that there was a there was a situation going on. Then they finally arrested her. Finally. Detectives eventually interviewed all of the students in her class and found that eight said that they had been assaulted. Quote, all of the victims described being choked by the suspect, detectives wrote in the arrest report. Some of the students, in addition to being choked, stated that they were kicked, punched, scratched, and their arms squeezed tightly by Susan Burke. It is unclear whether Burke has retained a lawyer for the assault charges. A phone message left at Burke's home was not returned. A man who picked up on the phone uh, listed as Burke's father declined to discuss the incident. Quote, I have no comments, thank you, he said and hung up. Yeah, I have no comments because uh, my daughter is a, a piece of crap. Um, a court commissioner set her bond at $75,000, not nearly enough. My God. Burke was hired by the Montgomery School System in 2001. Uh, she taught at... Meadow Hall Elementary School in Rockville for eight years before making a volunteer transfer in 2009 to Greencastle Schools. You know, I bet she's going to get a job someplace else eventually, though. You know that's going to happen. Also in the Michael Groff Show Stupid News File, authorities, this is great. This is from Tampa, Florida. And another story that is a guy uh, that's my hero. Authorities say that a man in a Tampa hotel fended off an armed intruder with a pair of nunchucks. Police say that 37-year-old Paul Sutter went to the man's room at the Tampa Lodge on Monday evening and demanded $40 that the man owed him. Police say that the man refused, so Sutter got a gun and forced his way into the room. Police say that the man grabbed his nunchucks and hit Sutter in the ear. Officials responded and charged Sutter with uh, robbery and home invasion. He was being held on $50,000 bonds. So a guy, he's like, you owe me 40 bucks. Uh, no, I don't. I'm going to go get my gun. Yeah, well, so he gets his gun and he gets the crap kicked out of him by this guy. That is awesome. Usually, if you bring nunchucks to a gunfight, you're going to lose. But in this case, the guy kicked his ass with nunchucks. That's awesome. What a great story. That reminds me of the story we did on the show about the guy who fought off three armed home invaders with nothing. He was he was wearing a pair of underwear and he beat the crap out of the guys and then he used uh, one of the guy's guns against them. This is almost as incredible a story. I always love it when guys use nunchucks or a sword or, uh, or a, a glaive or a katana, you know, some kind of, well, katana's a sword, but you know, you get the idea. Some kind of weapon. Yeah, a, a battle axe. <laughs> a fouchard <laughs> I, uh, a pike or something like that to uh, fend off an invader Yeah, that's always a great story I always love it when uh, the unarmed or the underarmed combatant wins in those kinds of situations alright we'll take a quick break come back we'll have the pop chart coming up also a Michael Graff show flashback you'll want to stick around for that it's getaway day more coming up you're listening to the Zip Code Famous, Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com Falling asleep at the wheel again, baby You're drifting over the line, line, yeah Your hands are tied but you're losing grip quickly Fix me, can you read the signs? Coming your way to Vegas, dirty And dreaming of the other side Save your tears and laughter because it doesn't matter what you find. Somewhere along 
final segment, the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on Getaway Day. Yeah, a little, uh, little Vegas vacation uh, for me. Thank you. I'm falling down a spiral, destination unknown, So why would I play the Twilight Zone? Why not? Twilight Zone's a great slot machine also. Just saying. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Graff Show. The screen name. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. That is how you can get in contact with this program. Also, the one, the only, MichaelGraff.com. I don't know if you're aware of this. I I didn't even make a big deal about this, but uh, maybe I shouldn't even mention it. And just see how long it takes for this to take off. But I will. I'll, I'll just give it a quick mention. I'm also on Twitter. Michael Groff. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'll be tweeting and twittering and twitting. I, I don't know how much interesting stuff I have to say, but... So follow me over there. Yeah. Well, we're on kind of a tight schedule, so we better just get to this uh, as quickly as possible. Let's do it. I mean, I'd like to stick around and chat, but I got uh, places to go and people to do or people to see or stuff to... How does that go? It's time for the top 10 songs in the world of CHR Pop. These are the 10 most played songs on top 40 radio stations across the country. We try to get you a look at this, well, every week if we can. I don't know why. I like to make you sad, I guess. Um, This is just a, a commentary on the general nature of music in the country. So at number 10 this week, it is a song by Taylor Swift. It's, uh, what is this called? Back to December. Sounds like every other Taylor Swift song. You've been good, busier than ever. Your small talk, work in the weather. Your guard is up and I know why. Because the last time you saw me is still Yeah, whatever. Number nine, it's Pink with Raise Your Glass. Number eight, it's uh, Far East Movement with Rockstar. You know, bands are so bad now, or groups are so bad now, they even auto-tune when they talk. Number seven, it's Rockst. It's uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, Chris Brown with Yeah three times. When he's not beating the crap out of Rihanna or other women, he's singing like a fruit. Apparently. It's hard to believe that this guy could beat the crap out of anybody.
a great song. Yeah. Sounds like every other song on the radio. Dude, dude, I've heard like that same progression in a club no less than 5,000 times. All right, number six, it's Rihanna with What's My Name? Yeah, this is this is the song that has my uh, <laughs> my favorite lamenting lyric ever. I'm actually gonna hang with it just to hear that one part. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. I heard you good with them soft lips. Yeah, yeah. You know word of mouth. The square root of sixty nine is eight something. Right? The square root of sixty nine is eight something. I'm just trying to work it out. I'm alive in the nighttime. But I'm so stupid. I don't even know what square root is. Oh, hey, I don't even know square root. Hey, I'm gonna get pat down aggressively at the airport. Hey. It looks under my, my scrotum there See what's going on Anyway, number uh, five She's back for some reason Britney Spears with Hold It Against Me Terrible. Number four, it's speaking of terrible, Kesha with a dollar sign. We are who we are. Making my brain delirious. Oh, I hate it. All right, Enrique Iglesias featuring Luda and a bunch of other people too. At number three with tonight. Okay, awful. Number two, it's Katy Perry with. Firework. And the number one song in the nation is unfortunately this... Um, it's Bruno Mars, and the song is Grenade. What you don't understand is I catch a grenade for you. That's the number one song in the country, averaging 89 spins a week on top 40 radio stations. 89. Unreal. That's That just doesn't even seem possible to me, but somehow that's going on. I don't get it. All right, it's time for the Michael Grob Show flashback sent in to us by Chad, who writes in and says that he... Loved it when, this is, uh, he said from a couple years ago, he says, Mike, uh, a couple years ago you did a rant about the state of Utah. You've done several of these on your show, but I remember one where they banned malt liquor. Talk about sucking the fun out of everything. Does Utah, is Utah really that lame or what? So if you could find that, 
bit that you did about it. That would be awesome. Well, it just so happens that we did find that from 2009. See, Michael Groff Show flashback where we, or yes, the state of Utah banned the sale of malt liquor. It's right here. It's the uh, flashback here on the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. something that does need a bailout. The state of Utah might be the most unfun place in the history of mankind. It is hard for me to believe that there is a place on this planet that could be more dull. The state of Utah now is cracking down on malt liquor, malt beverages specifically. Utah's supply of flavored malt beverages will likely be exhausted in a few weeks as manufacturers decide whether to comply with labeling rules intended to make it clear that products contain alcohol. Utah has some of the most strict liquor laws in the country and a byproduct of the large uh, Mormon population, of course, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, the, the Mormons, they, they don't like the fact that you have alcohol in there. Oh, God, alcohol is going to corrupt us all. On Wednesday, Utah will be the only state to ban the sale of fruity alcoholic drinks at grocery stores and convenience stores in an effort to keep them from minors. Well, shouldn't minors not be getting those drinks anyway since they're minors? Those drinks also must have new state-approved labels on the front of the product that in, in capitalized letters says in bold type, these drinks contain alcohol and to what percentage? You're trying to hide them from kids so they don't buy them, but now you want to put great big labels on the front of them that say that they are alcoholic. Boy, that's kind of counterproductive, but once again, it's the state of Utah. It's the Mormons. What do you expect? So far, no new labels have been approved. Utah Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control spokeswoman Sharon McKay says that the state's limited supply of those drinks will likely be gone in a few weeks. More like a few days at this rate. Flavored malt beverages are already sold in state liquor stores, but they have a uh, higher alcohol content than that uh, that's been allowed in grocery stores. So, you know, anyway, it's a whole thing. They have, like, different rules for where you can sell at what place. They have rules in bars that say that alcohol can't be too prominently displayed. This is the state of Utah. And I always make this observation, but I find it strangely ironic that the states of Utah and Nevada are right next to each other. Nevada is like the haven for fun in the world. Anything that can be fun, anything that can be enjoyable, anything you can do, you can gamble. Uh, aside from Clark County, Nevada, you can uh, you can get a prostitute legally. There's just about anything you can do in the state of Nevada you cannot do in Utah. And those two states are right next to each other. Yeah, give me Nevada any day. Sorry. Sorry, Utah. Now, malt liquor. Does that mean I can't get Mickey's Big Mouths or something if I go to Utah? Does that mean I, I'm not even allowed to get those? They're not going to sell Mickey's? God, when I was in college, I love Mickey's. Quote, thanks to the legislature, Smirnoff Ice is no longer available in Utah since, uh, said uh, Zoska McDonald, spokeswoman for Diageo. So that's the world's largest multinational beer. McKay said the department won't reorder any of the flavored malt beverages it has in stock. Are you kidding? You can't even go to Utah now and get Smirnoff Ice unless you go to like a, a liquor store, which, by the way, all liquor stores and all sale of alcohol doesn't exist on Sunday. You can't do it. You can't get any alcohol on Sunday. Even though God turned water into wine, you can't get alcohol on Sunday in the state of Utah. My God. Republican Governor John Huntsman said that banning products like Zima, Smirnoff Ice, and Seagram's Fuzzy Navel from grocery stores would harm Utah's image, but agreed to do it in exchange for increasing the amount of liquor allowed in shots and standard cocktails to 1.5 ounces up from one ounce. So if you go to a bar in Utah, you can get a slightly bigger shot of booze, but you can't get it in a grocery store. Does the state of Utah make any sense to anybody?
right, there you have it. That is a Michael Graff Show flashback. Thanks to Chad for sending that in. We try to mix in a few of those on the show from time to time now. Really do appreciate that. If you have a flashback, a particular moment that you remember from Michael Graff Show's past, we, we always would appreciate that. Uh, you can send those in, uh, send those requests, and we'll gladly play those for you. Also, speaking of that, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our PayPal address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Also, that's our email address, your comments, questions, suggestions. But your monetary donations to our PayPal, Mike at KMGX.com, always appreciated. Or even via Dwala. We're going to set up that account, I guess, eventually. All right, that's it. Um, what else here? Uh, AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show, the screen name. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. And so much more, so many other ways to get in contact with this program are always up and available. We really do appreciate you checking us out and listening. The one and only MichaelGroff.com. You can go over there, post, comment, get interactive with the show. You can check out the latest shows, the archives, and uh, a lot more exciting stuff coming to the site very soon as well. Have a great time, everybody. We'll be back next week with another edition of the program. I'm off to Vegas. We'll see you then. Have a great night, everybody.